You know, last week, uh, Pastor James, he was able to talk uh, just really well on just the city of Nineveh and also on the theme of repentance. Um, And I think we were able to kind of look all over this chapter, but what I want to do uh, today was go through the same chapter, but I want to change our perspective just a little bit. Because what I want to do was, instead of looking at the city of Nineveh, what I want to do was look at the person of Jonah. You know, what was interesting about Jonah, especially here, is that he did something so absolutely miraculous. And a lot of times when we read the Bible and we read some of these stories, it is so easy for us to disassociate ourselves from something like this. Because we say, look, this was a miracle. This was something that great that happened. And it's because he was a prophet of God. It was because this was a long time ago. It was because his hand was upon him. It could never happen here. But you see, I don't believe that. I reject that. Because what we believe is that God transformed Jonah from a man who ran away to one who would change entire cities for him. And what I believe and what we believe as a church is that that same God of back then is the same God that we are worshiping today. And that same God who was able to change one person's life to change an entire city, he is that same God who is willing and wanting to use you in that same exact way today. And you see, Jonah, he had to confront one question. And it was this one question that he had to answer in order for God to use him powerfully. And it was this one question. It was, what are you willing to die for? That was the question here. You see, there was, there was a Christian author named Dorothy Sayers. And she had this quote. She had this quote in a book. It said, um, The greatest sin of our generation is not materialism, is not trying to get as much as we can or or trying to gain item after item, and it's not promiscuity, it's not sexual sin or, or prostitution or anything like that. Rather, it's the sin that believes in nothing. It's the sin that believes in nothing and cares for nothing and therefore lives for nothing. And she says that if you live for nothing, then there's no way that you'll die for anything. You know, after I read that quote and after I read some of the other things that she wrote, it really made me think a lot. And I struggled through it because one thing that I've realized that as I've gotten older is that I've been able to gain so much. I've gained experience, I've gained freedom, I've gained independence, and yet one thing that I've lost is my passion. Because I remember when I was younger, I was so passionate. I was so on fire for things. And I realized that as I've gotten older, that passion has slowly died away. And it's gone to the point where I'm so afraid of investing myself in anything. And I've realized that it's because I've become so jaded in the difficulties and, the, and in the reality of this world. You know, I used to read so many old stories. I used to love these old stories of King Arthur, of the Round Table. Stories of Narnia, stories of the Fellowship of the Ring. 
And the reason why, for me, I still remember these stories, and, and the reason why I still talk about so many of these stories is because what I remember is that these people were living for something so much bigger than themselves. And because they were willing to live for something so much bigger, they were willing to die because of it. I think for a lot of us, the main reason why these stories speak to us is because inside, we know that in the depths of our heart that we're meant to live for something more than this world. We were meant to be passionate people. We were meant to give our lives to something. We were meant to be like children who give all of our heart. And yet what the world has done is that it has completely jaded us and hurt us to the point where we're not willing to invest in anything. And what happens is that as we get older, our world begins to narrow, and we replace our passion with reality. And when that happens, is that reality becomes our idol. And the moment God calls us to do something like Jonah, we run away because we are not willing to break our reality. We have become so comfortable in where we are that the moment God calls us to do something outside of that, the moment God calls us to go outside of our boundaries, we are so unwilling to take a step in that direction. What does it mean that our reality replaces our passion? It means that we're living for things that we, are meant, that we are never meant to live for. It means that our family, our career, our desires have become the center of our lives. And for so many of us, we have become so content in mediocrity. We have become so content in just simply living. And if we're living, are we really actually living? Because when those things become the center of your life, there's no way that those things can ever sustain you. For so many of us, we feel tired all the time. For so many of us, we feel so burnt out. And we feel like we're on the edge of a cliff. Check your heart. Because what you're holding on to is the wrong thing. Check your heart because your passion is in the wrong place. You see, for Jonah, he had been running from God because his passion was his people. His passion were the Israelites. It wasn't on God. He loved Israel. He loved his city. And so when God called him for something greater, he immediately turned away. But something happens to Jonah because in this passage, we see the same man who was willing to run away come into the middle of the city and turn it upside down. You see, Nineveh at that time was the greatest city to have ever existed. It was said to be so vast and so big that armies were afraid to go even close to it. They knew its power. They knew its cultural influence. They knew that it had such a big impact and power upon all the world that not one single army was willing to come even close to it. 
And yet God placed a passion in Jonah that allowed him to change the most wicked city at that time into God's people. He used one person. He didn't use an army. He didn't use 300 people. He didn't use a group of people. He used one person. And through that one person, he changed an entire city. And it was because of this one thing. It was because of his passion. It was because God instilled in him something so much more powerful than anything that this world could offer. This past Tuesday, we had, this, we had our praise and prayer night. And it was so powerful. I'm so, I was so thankful for it. But one image that kept on coming in my mind again and again as I was praying and as I was on my knees was this picture of the heavens opening and, and fire falling from the sky and it hitting the middle pews and just spreading out. And I realized that, that the fire was the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I realized that for me, I was praying for so many other things in this church. That I was praying for numbers, that I was praying for programs, I was praying for events. But the one thing that I forgot to pray for was the power of the Holy Spirit. That I wasn't praying for passion in this, in, in this church. That we would be a church full of passionate people that would love the Lord. That more than anything else, that we would go forth and we would love one another, not because of the, the program that we're in, not because we feel like it's an obligation, but simply because we are so passionate, passionate about what God has done in our lives. I want that to be the call of Shining Star. I want that to be the one thing that defines my life, that when I die one day and the people speak on my eulogy, that people can say, yeah, he was a man of passion. That she was a man of passion, that she was a woman of passion. That our church was defined as a church of passion. I want us to be able to live so well that we're willing to die. And so church, do you want that as well? Because Jonah, he understood three things. And because of these three things, it gave him that right type of passion. And it therefore allowed God to use him to change an entire city. You see, Jonah, he number one, understood his failures. He number two, he, number two understood God's calling. And number three, he understood his own sin. And through those three things, God was able to use him powerfully. So let's look at the first one. In verse 1 it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Why is it the second time? Because for us, if you've been following along, we know that when God called Jonah the first time, Jonah completely and absolutely failed. He ran in the other direction. And yet, why would God still call Jonah? It's because we know that his failures are what allowed him to follow God's calling on his life. It was through Jonah's failures that he learned and that he was able to grow and that he was able to preach to the Ninevites. His failures actually ended up becoming his strength. 
You see, as Christians, we believe that our suffering and that our hardships and that the pain that we go through always have a reason and always have a plan and always have a purpose. You see, John 12, 24, when Jesus is talking about his suffering, he says one thing, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In my life, what I've realized is that the most humble and approachable and kind people have always been those who've experienced the most suffering and have gone through the most pain. And it is those specific people that are most effective at changing people's lives because they are able to speak into the heart in ways that I could never do. You know, I remember when I first went to church in California when I went to college, and it was my first time away from home. It was my first time away from even the East Coast. And I was going to somewhere so foreign, so different, somewhere where I didn't know a single person. It was my first time going to church there. And I remember I walked in, no one greeted me, I sat down in the back, I had worship, and at the very end, people were talking with each other, and I was just putting my head down, I was about to walk out, and I remember someone walked next to me and started to talk. Really casual. And I was blown away because they were just, they were willing to invest so much time into me. And I still remember this 10, 10 15 years later. I, I was, it was so impactful for me because I needed that. And I was talking to them, I was thinking, are they a member here? Are they a deacon? Are they an elder? Who are they? And I asked them, how long have you been attending this church? And they said, two months. Two months. You see, this person, they knew intimately how hard it was. And instead of running away, instead of going back into themselves, they decided to minister and teach and, and serve and give to the people who they knew would have the hardest time. For many of you, you've experienced a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. But you see, God, he is able to use that pain for later glory. Look at the story of the cross. When we experience something bad, whether that's failure, whether that's suffering, there's two options that we have. We can either turn towards God or we can turn towards ourselves. If you turn toward God, then he can use you to change entire cities. He can use you to change the entire world. And yet, when we turn into ourselves, then that failure only hurts us. And there will be no growth from it. You see, that's the first thing. Jonah understood his failures. But at the same time, Jonah, he understood his calling. People of passion are formed through suffering, and they're also called out of their comfort. You see, Jonah had spent three days in the belly of a fish, 
And immediately, God goes before him and says, go into Nineveh. He doesn't give him time to rest. He doesn't give him time to recuperate. He doesn't give him time off. He says immediately, go to Nineveh. God's calling is now correlated with our time. What God asks for us to do is never given in our convenience. God's calling is not correlated with how much money you have or how gifted you are. God will call whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Our only job is to simply obey. And for God, what we can do is simply trust him, that he trains and that he sends and that he calls and does things with a purpose and a reason. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he says two things. He says, I will bless you so that you may be a blessing. Now leave your country. If God has blessed you, it was never meant to stop with you. If God has healed you, it was never meant to stop with you. Your blessings are meant to bless others. And the compassion that is formed in you is meant to be formed in others. And the way God calls Abraham, what he asked for Abraham to do is to leave his country. What does that mean? It means that you need to leave what you're comfortable with and do things that make you vulnerable. Look, I know that signing up for different ministries. I know that taking time out to meet with people. I know that taking time out of your busy schedule to do other things is is difficult. And our generation, especially when we have a billion and one things to do, it becomes so much harder to meet with people and be intentional with them. And that takes a lot of commitment because you're saying that you are trying to be responsible for other people. And that means you're going to share more of your life with them. But know that God is only sending you out so that he can fill you with more of him. Now, the last thing that made Jonah understand was that Jonah understood his sin. The only way change will ever happen in your life and in the lives around you is through repentance. And for a lot of us, we think that repentance is simply an emotional response. We think that it's just something that we need to say in our our minds or in our heart. But what the Bible says is that repentance is a change in lifestyle. What we read is that the entire city heard Jonah and began to repent. They turned away from their sin and they began to cry out to God. And yet what we know is that the city did not repent until Jonah first repented. God uses his people in order to change the world, but it always starts with the individual. For many of us, we're living here in that type of mindset. And that we're living with the mindset that 
The world tells us we need to just take and take and take. And yet what the Bible says is that the city is precious, that God has a heart for the city. It is a place that God loves, that your workplace, that your family, and that your church are all filled with people whom God has a passion for. Church, do you believe that you are sent here for a reason? That you right now in your seat are here for a particular and special reason? Do you believe that? Or are you simply living to earn a paycheck? Are you simply living to go on that next vacation? Because once you understand that God has a love for the people here and that you're sent here with a plan and a purpose, that's when God will use you to begin to change the city. So I'm going to close with this. There was a girl named Sophie Scholl who, who grew up in Germany in the 1920s. And for her, she had a, she had a regular childhood. Her father was the mayor of uh, her hometown, and, and she had a good education and, and good friends growing up. But as she started to grow up, she, she realized that something was off. She realized that her friends and the people around her were beginning to believe in something that wasn't right. And so she began to fight against it. You see, for her, the entire country was shifting towards Nazism. And for Sophie, she was right in the middle of the tide. And yet, even though she stood in the middle, she did not fall apart. Even though she stood in the middle, she did not move with the waves. She did not go with the people. She stood firm in her beliefs and she fought against. What allowed her to do that? What was her belief that allowed her to be so strong? You see, her passion was Jesus Christ. And it was because of her faith that she was able to stand firm. And what we know is that at 21 years old, she was arrested, she was found guilty of treason, and she was put to death. But before she was put to death, she was standing on trial in front of a judge and in front of people who all hated her. And what they did is they gave her a minute to defend herself. Just one minute. And what was recorded were her last words. And these were her last words. They said, how can we expect righteousness to prevail when there is no one willing to give himself up to a righteous cause? See, such a, a fine, sunny day, and I have to go. But what does my death matter if through us, thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? She was 21 years old. For Sophie, she had this belief inside of her. And for her, she had this one question answered, what are you willing to die for? So church, that's the question that I want to ask for you today. Is there something in your life that you are willing to die for? Because if there isn't, then life is going to get so tiring. You will get burnt out. You will become 
so exhausted with the routine of life. Because there's only one thing that is worth living for. Because there's nothing in this world that will ever sustain you. There's nothing in this world that you can ever truly hold on to. Because everything here is temporary. In Philippians 1.21, you see Paul, he's awaiting death in jail. And he writes this one thing. He says, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are you living for? What are you willing to die for? I pray and I hope that we become a church full of passionate, passionate people. Amen. Let's pray.